I um. That's such a powerful song, man. I'll praise you in the mountains. I'll praise you in the mountains on the way. And that's essentially what I want to talk to you about this morning. Is that we have an opportunity to praise God through, in, on top of, around all our experiences. All the circumstances, no matter what we face. That there is a journey of praising Him on the way up to the mountain. And there is a journey of praising Him when you get there. And thanking Him for the victory. And I just want to say that trials and tribulations and circumstances, they can make our hearts hard. They can harden us. And if anything I want to pray for today is that God softens your heart again. That He makes you sensitive to what the Holy Spirit wants to say here today. And you know, this, this song, this the idea of song of a sense, in the Psalms, there would be certain gatherings and celebrations in Jerusalem where they would make sacrifices and they'd worship God and they'd atone for their sins. But in the anticipation, in the journey towards Jerusalem, because Jerusalem was up on a hill, they would sing these songs of ascent. So all these people from various cities and towns, they'd gather in Jerusalem. But on the way there, they would sing these songs of ascent, in anticipation, in expectation of what was going to happen. In expectation of the God that they were going to encounter, in anticipation of the glory of His presence. But they wouldn't frame their songs around too much of what was hard or what was difficult. They would frame their songs around praise. They would walk up this mountain, they'd walk up this hill towards Jerusalem, and they would have declaration after declaration after declaration after declaration saying that, God, you are good, you are faithful. You are glorious. We are excited to be in your presence. We are excited to meet with you, King. And so we're going to put the stuff of yesterday behind us, and we are going to cast our minds towards the mountaintop, and we're going to begin to praise you. And that's much like life. Going through different seasons and ebbs and flows and journeys where we cast our minds towards the promise, towards the breakthrough, towards the miracle. We know Jesus is waiting for us. Amen. Some of us feel like we're on the mountain. Some of us feel like we're at the base. Some of us feel like we're halfway through. Some of us feel like we have no idea where we are right now. And that's okay. God will meet you wherever you are at in that journey today. And I'm really trusting for that, that he is going to make us sensitive to what he wants to say. He's going to open your hearts and your minds to how we as a church will be a church that worships and praises the Father regardless of what we're going through. Amen. Amen. Let's give the team a hand of applause. It's um, so good to be with you. It's such a great first service. I'm tender though, I must be honest. <laughs> um, but expectant, so expecting what God can do here and um, really just believing that what he says to us will, will set us up to be the church that he's called us to be. And... Um, I really consider this such a privilege to be able to speak to you, to my church, to our church. And um, I just want to say that I'm not really much of a, a teacher or a preacher, but I enjoy telling stories. 
And uh, the last season of church has been full of just telling stories. I don't know if you've noticed, but we tell a lot of testimonies now. And um, I really believe it's, it's in the realness of those moments that people connect with the realness of God. And that it's not always in these like, lofty ideas that we can come up with, but in the, like, how does that play out in my day-to-day life that people want to connect with? And so I'm not here to share any lofty ideas. I'm just here to share a bit of a story. And um, I hope that you can just open your heart up to me as I do so. A lot of what we're going to talk about today is is how our circumstances are often shape how we worship God and often shape our idea of God. But in fact, what should be happening is the God we worship should be shaping our circumstances. And um, I kind of want to just start from a a personal place back in 2017. I don't know how many of you were here in 2017, but. Um, what started off as a normal year for me ended off in a completely different direction. And to cut a very long story short, I basically found myself at the end of the year completely burnt out, completely tired, shattered, <laughs> exhausted, anxious. And I, um, I was having these crazy panic attacks. I remember I was even meant to speak with Roscoe the very morning, the night before I had a panic attack. I thought I was having a heart attack. And I lay in bed on Saturday night, and I was just thinking through the material and what I was going to say and this and that. And um, I, I didn't really know how to describe it other than just something in me just took over. And I thought my heart was beating out of my chest. And I couldn't breathe. I couldn't, like, get any air inside of me and I turned to my wife and she was half asleep I think at the time and I said something's wrong I don't know what's going on but something is really wrong and she said to me what are you feeling I said it feels like I'm having a heart attack but I'm pretty sure I'd be dead by now if I was and um, it was obviously a really intense situation and um, she just began to pray for me I couldn't couldn't really pray at the time and um, so I just grabbed my phone and I reached for the first worship song I could find and I just put the worship song on and I just let it just play and worship played till about 1.30, 2am in the morning I was still freaking out and um, I phoned Ross in the morning I said bro I can't preach I can't do this <laughs> And uh, I didn't really tell you too much more than that. It's maybe on Monday I kind of unloaded. <laughs> and um, it was in that moment I realized, like, I was, there was something wrong. I had to do something about this. And so I did. I started to see a psychologist. And I saw a doctor, and they kind of diagnosed me at this, like, kind of critical stage of depression. And they put me on antidepressants. Yay. And uh, I just want to say right now, actually, that if, you're, if that's you today, it's okay. <laughs> My story today will be 
testimony to the fact that God will meet you in that place. And that's what I'm praying will happen today, nothing else. So I went on this journey. I started seeing a psychologist. I got friends around me. And, um, you know, we spoke about agreement last week. And it was actually in that season of life where I realized the power of a community and agreement around you when you couldn't agree with that stuff. Because I just felt like I couldn't say certain things because it was really hard to believe certain things about God when you feel like you're having a crisis on your hands. It's really hard to say, oh, God's faithful and good. <gasps> like, it ain't happening. And, but having people around me, having my family and my friends and Ross and just telling me things that were true, regardless of what I thought or what I believed at the time, was absolutely critical. And that paired with some professional help, paired with a little bit of a sabbatical. I don't know if any remembers, I disappeared for eight weeks. I went on a nice holiday and got a good tan. I saw photos yesterday and I said to Sherry, I said, I could fake it, eh? We could get back to Bali if you wanted me to. Like, I could... (laughs) And uh, we had a nice break, and we got to just reconnect with, uh, that was so special, just reconnecting with my wife and just, you know, getting back to zero. I was in the negative for a long time, and I just wanted to get back to zero. Do whatever it takes to get back to zero. Once I'd got into that place, I um, just kept at it, kept on the journey. And you know what? There was, a, there was a moment of realization in this journey where I started to understand what shame really was. Shame tells you that no one will ever understand you or get you, so don't tell them. Keep it from them. Just stay here. Don't let it get out. Just keep it back here. Keep it back here. They won't get you. They won't acknowledge it. And if there's ever a space where shame exists, the spirit of shame, it's in depression. And that's not God's intention for our lives. What I now know is that it was in the agreement of who Jesus is and the fact that he says to me, all who are weary and head and laden, come to me. That he tells us to shine a light on these things. And I hope that in the small example of me telling my story that people will feel brave. And will feel courage to shine a light on this stuff. So back to my story. I, um, I remember this really profound moment where I'd go to my doctor friend, i.e. the psychologist. And uh, <laughs> she was amazing. She helped me so much. And I'd sit on this couch and... Uh, we talk about stuff, and she asked me how I'm doing, and da 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 da. And I'd probably done about a few good, like a few sessions with her already at that point. Had my break, trying to figure out, okay, what's next? And um, she looks at me and uh, she says, "What are you in control of? What are you in control of? What are you going to do about it?" I said, "I'm going to throw those pillows as hard as I can at you for asking me such a stupid question." <laughs> But what I realized in that moment is that I didn't see myself as a son anymore. I saw myself as a slave to the situation. 
And as heartbreaking, as sore, and as painful as that realization was, I wouldn't have asked for it any differently. Because right then and there, I realized that my fight for peace was not about what was happening around me. It was about what was going on inside of me. And I can fight as hard as I want to fix the relationships around me, to change where I work, where I go to church, who I fellowship with, how much money I make, what car I drive, where I live. That ain't going to change a single thing about what was going on in here. All that stuff was going to do is reinforce this idea that I was a victim and a slave to it. And it took a long journey to get there, but I eventually got there. And today is really about unpacking this idea that revelation reinforces response and revelation reinforces and strengthens our praise, but praise is the path to victory. And revelation is essentially something that was hidden to us being revealed. And I can I say, looking back, that in 2017, 2018, that phase of my life, there were things of God that I didn't know. Or there were things of God that I thought I understood, but they were not reinforced by the right things. So God, you are faithful. You got me to this place. I'd probably turned into, oh, I made this happen. I got myself here. And the things that once held me firm and held me strong and held me in place became the very thing that led to the amount of insecurity that I was experiencing at the time. And so rather than allowing God to shape my understanding of who he is, everything I was going through was shaping who God was. Now I want to shift gears and start to talk about this person in the Bible described as a man after God's heart, David. David is an amazing person. I think he has more books in the Bible dedicated to him than anyone else. And um, we all know his story, or some of us do, is that he starts off as this humble shepherd boy, and he defeats a giant called Goliath. We all know that story. Kind of spends some time running and hiding and ducking and diving, and eventually becomes king of Israel. The rest of the story requires another four weeks of explaining, but I'll leave that for another time. But David is really special because I find I really connect with David. Not that this idea of being king or anything, but just with the way he went through life and the challenges he faced. So I connect with David, and I want to share a little bit about his story. And I'm going to probably read any minute now from Psalm 23 for those guys at the back. But the first thing that grabbed me about David was his pursuit of God. As a shepherd, he tended to his flock, and he would write song after song after song, and he would just worship God day in and day out. And he loved God so deeply. And um, I want to read this Psalm 23 to you because for me it speaks so clearly to the relationship that he had with God and how he thought of God. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
There's one more. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And that was his desire from the start. David just wanted this deep, deep relationship with the Father. And you hear it in that psalm that there is this confidence that even if I walk through the valley, I will fear no evil. Even in the presence of my enemies, you're preparing a table for me. I just want to dwell in your house, God. I just want to be in your presence. I just want to know you. That revelation that David was experiencing there would forever shape how he did things and how he acted. And um, I want to kind of just shift things a little bit and, and talk about that because so much of what I was going through was just learning. Give me a moment. Was learning to, um, to do that again. Learning to just be in the house of God. To take away all the expectations to take away all the requirements, to take away all that I thought I needed to do and realize that at the core of our Father is this love that He just wants to pour out of me. He just wants to be with me. He just wants to sit with me and get to know me. So I would spend, even during our sabbatical and our time away, I would spend so much time just being, learning to be again, just learning to rest in God's presence. And um, I came across a song and I, I thought I'd just sing it. And um, yeah, I trust God to minister to us. There's nothing I need You lead me to the safest places You lead me to the safest places To walk in the meadow and lie by the stream You meet me in the quiet places You meet me in the quiet places Oh, your goodness, your mercy will follow me all the days of my life, all the days of my life. And I dwell in your house for eternity. I'll be there by your side. I'll be there by your side. Through the valley of shadow and death Oh, I don't have to fear no evil For I know that you are with me With all your blessing you cover my head You fill me up to overflowing You fill me up to overflowing Your goodness, your mercy Follow me all the days of my life, all the days of my life. 
dwell in your house for eternity. I'll be there by your side. I'll be there by your moments where I just learned to hunger again. You see, there's this beautiful thing that happens when we come into the presence of God. We have this full but not satisfied experience that He feeds us and He meets us where we're at, but yet we hunger for more. And coming back to these these moments in our lives or these places where we just feel like we're walking along the stream and in the meadow with our Father. It's crucial to that. Resting in His presence. Resting in His, in his goodness and His favor over our lives. Where there's no striving or pursuit of anything but just knowing that He is who He says He is. And letting that Revelations sink deep into our hearts so that when we leave these moments, when we leave the, the field or the meadow or whatever you think that is in your life, when we leave that, we take that experience with us into life. The stream doesn't disappear, it merely just moves with us. Hmm. Amen. <laughs> and um, to continue my my story, that's a little bit of what I just used to do. I'd find myself having these beautiful moments with God where I could just be who I am again, trust who He is again, and let Him start to rebuild my heart. Now I want to kick back to David. We all know the David and Goliath story. So David, this humble, small in stature, um, shepherd boy, he finds himself in the situation where he has opted to fight against a giant. So think me, hair down, about another 40 kilos on, two feet taller, giant. I was a bit funnier than I thought it was. Um, and then little David, uh, like Ross kind of stature. And um, <clears throat> so let's take ourselves back to that moment and realize what it would have taken for David to, to put himself in that situation, to have the faith that he did, because everything that he is seeing, the giant that he sees before him is way more equipped. He's carrying a sword and a spear. He's about three or four feet taller than him, I guess. And just nothing of what he sees, nothing of what's in front of him tells you that there's going to be victory on David's side. What are you looking at right now? What is a giant you're facing that tells you that there is no ways that you're getting out of this situation alive? Is it like me? Is it the depression, the anxiety, the panic attacks where you're looking at the stuff that is happening or the situation you're facing and going, God, how do I get out of this? There is no way I can come out of this alive. But David, with his catty, his slingshot, he says this critical line. 
You come against me with a spear and a sword, but I come against you with the name of the Lord Almighty. That is so profound. And you know what I believe? I believe David stood there and he looked those giants in the eye and he was probably rightly, he was probably going just a little bit with the nerves. But I think he thought back to the posture and to the meadow and to the streams and to that line he wrote about, even if I walk through the valley, the shadow of death, I will not have to fear no evil. That in the midst of my enemies, you are preparing a table for me. I get to sit down and enjoy this feast and trust that you're in control, God. I believe that David had this attitude that he was pulling on from his experience in the meadow, from his experience as a shepherd boy that would get him through the giant. And we know how the story ends. David gets killed and then, um, you know, this, we have to move to a new character. And <laughs> David defeats the giant. And they start to sing songs about him. Israel starts to celebrate who he is. And he becomes the the, the armor bearer for Saul. Saul is now the king of Israel currently. Samuel is a prophet. Samuel prophesies that Saul, your time is time to ship up and shape out. Shape out and ship out. How do you say it? It's time for you to go. It's now David's turn. This makes Saul furious. I mean, the the Israelites are literally singing songs saying, Saul defeated 10,000, but David defeated 100,000. I mean, it's absolutely unnecessary that they have to do that to Saul, but they do it anyway. And Saul's furious, he's insecure, he's angry, and what happens is he basically makes it his goal to kill David. And for the rest of Saul's life, we, just, we read the story of how David is hunted and on the run. So David, you are going to be king. It is prophesied. Run for your life. (laughs) There's a bit of tension in that promise, huh? How many of you feel like God has given you something or has put a promise on your heart and yet you feel like you're running for your life? God, I know who you've called me to be. I know that you've put worship in my heart. I know you've called me to lead people. I know you've called me to write songs. But why do I feel like I'm running for my life today? Why is this promise not connecting with my reality? So David's on the run and he finds himself in this cave and he writes Psalm 57, which I'm going to read out. He's basically locked down level five day 1003. And he writes this, I am surrounded by fierce lions who greedily devour human prey, whose teeth pierce like spears and arrows, and whose tongues cut like swords. Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine above all the earth. He goes back to the circumstances and back to his situation in verse 6, and he says, My enemies have set a trap for me. I am weary from distress. They have dug a deep pit in my path, but they themselves have fallen into. And then there's that word there, sailor. His tone completely changes. My heart is confident in you, O God. My heart is confident. No wonder I can sing your praises. Wake up my heart, wake up a lion harp. I will wake the dawn with my song. I will thank you, Lord, among all the people. I will praise, I will sing your praises among the nations. For your unfailing love is as high as the heavens. Your faithfulness 
reaches to the clouds. That sailor moment is so critical, and we don't know how to do this. David once again finds himself in a situation that is probably not connecting with what he thinks he should be doing right then and there. But he's in a cave, and he's running for his life. And the armies of Saul are looking for him, and they are trying to kill him. And he tells us a little bit of that story in the scripture, but then he has the sailor, and his whole tone changes. He begins to kick into thanksgiving and praise. Sailor means to pause, to stop. In a musical term, it's an interlude. So what's happening is David is looking around him, and he is feeling the fear and trembling. He's scared for his life. But he takes a step back, and he pauses. I mean, what happens in the pause? What happens in the pause that's so significant that suddenly he says, wake up my heart. Wake up the instruments. He's basically calling worship out of himself to start singing. Then he starts saying, thank you for your everlasting love. What happened in the pause? I can't tell you. They don't tell us what happens in the pause, but what I can guess is that once again, David looks back. He says, God, is this just another Goliath? Is this just another giant in the way? Are you preparing a table for me once again? Are you going to carry me through this once again? Am I in the shadow of evil and death right now, and you're going to carry me through that once again? But he pauses, and it's so critical because it's in that pause where his heart clearly shifts. And um, I was, I, I found myself in, um, in PE at the beginning of 2018, and I was, I was working on just, just writing some songs with a good friend of mine. And We'd been spending the whole day working on, on, on music and, and writing songs. And I was still like fairly tender. I just said to myself, I don't know why you want me here. Like, I don't know what I have to offer. And uh, I mean, he's an amazing person. He was just like, no, nah, I just love you. I want to hang out with you. You're awesome. <laughs> and, uh, and so we were writing songs and, and just having amazing conversations about God and life. And, and he had to go off. It was a Thursday night. They, I was, we were at his church and he had to go and have his own practice with his team. And he has this piano in his office, and I was just sitting there, and I just thought, oh, I'm just going to tink on the piano a little bit. And uh, I made this, like, kind of decision. I just wanted to root myself in a moment with God right then and there. And I just said, God, just begin to remind me what you have done. Because right now, it's really hard to, for me to see what you are doing. It feels really blurry. But I have some confidence in what you have done. I have some memories with you that I can't really get rid of. And as I started to just think about that, started to take myself back to miracles and breakthrough and my salvation and moments on my knees before God and words that have been spoken over my life and just the people around me, just started to take myself back to what God had done, he started to fill me with faith again. It was the miracles of yesterday 
It was the giant of yesterday that gave me perspective for today. And um, I, I started like writing down some words and singing a song, and I just really wanted to share it with you this morning. said, I just started to look back on yesterday and be reminded of his faithfulness and realize that that's a weapon that I have for today. Some of us, we forget that. We forget that he has done so much in our past that we can pull on the victory of that to get us through the victory that we need right now. Maybe you just need to take a moment and just go, God, thank you for my salvation. (laughs) Thank you that I get to spend eternity with you, Jesus. That is going to be the greatest privilege I will ever experience. 
just to know you forever and a day. It's in the pause where God reminds us of this stuff. We don't pause enough, but it's in the pause where He reminds us. And um, we'll continue with, with David. Oh. And um, David gets through this experience in the cave. Saul dies. David becomes king. And uh, I want to I go into this direction now because... I want you to keep remembering that every story I'm telling, I'm somehow connecting it a little bit to what's happened already. I keep talking about David as the shepherd, David defeating Goliath, and how he pulls on his revelations and his experiences of yesterday to empower him to praise through what he's facing right now. And so David becomes king. His, his whole framework of living is centered around this idea that he wants to be near God, that the very presence of God is what he is after. And that's where all his confidence stands. And so the first thing he does with Jerusalem when he becomes king is he makes it, it's obviously um, the political capital, but he wants to make it the spiritual capital. And so he wants to retrieve the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is the manifest presence of God. And he knows, he has this belief in him that tells him that if he brings the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, there will be a blessing. And so we read from True Chronicles. I'm going to skip a little bit to verse 3. And they carried the Ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah, which is a really good friend of David and quite important, and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the Ark of God and Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And David's getting excited. He is celebrating. He is anticipating the very thing that he has built his life around to be established in Jerusalem. He knows from the moment with the Goliath, the moment in the cave, the moment in the meadows, God, if you are near, stuff happens. But then what happens is they come to the threshing floor of Nikon, and Uzzah, his really good friend, puts out his hand on the Ark of, the, of God, because obviously falling off the cart, they didn't have four-wheel drive or shocks back in that day. And um, he puts out his hand and God strikes him. And it says here that David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And so imagine this, you've, you've seen the evidence in your life that, well, if that plus that plus that equals that, then surely this, and then this experience happens at, well, where did that come from? But God, everything I'm doing surely is, you get the big picture, don't you? You get the idea, if I get you here, if I get the ark here, well then, it's good for everybody. But you're going to kill my friend in the process. In verse 9, it says this really important line, and David was afraid of the Lord that day. We haven't seen David afraid of God yet. But he's afraid. 
Something is shifting in him. How can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to the city of David. He left it in this other city called Abedadim. And the ark of the Lord remained there for three months. And what happens is he sees the blessing that is happening in that city because the very presence of God is living there. And this makes David jealous. Because the very thing, the reason he wanted to bring the ark of the covenant to Jerusalem is now happening somewhere else. I want to say this about the shift that needed to happen in David in order to get that situation right. Because he goes on to retrieve the ark, but he changes his approach. They make, I think it says they make, they, they sacrifice an ox and a calf every six steps. I, I worked out the maths on this like two years ago, and I'm so sorry. But it is literally like three something thousand sacrifices along the way. Something changed in David. No longer were they just like two charms carrying, carrying the presence of God behind them with this ox. And it was very different. This was a different situation. His revelation of God's holiness had changed. He saw God completely different. But the revelation of blessing and his experience was the very thing that gave him the willpower to pursue. And so... We see David as a king in this situation. We know David as a shepherd. I think something else that was really critical in this moment was that David's promotion needed perspective. Some of us are going through things that are necessary because God wants to promote or he wants to unlock something in you. But if he doesn't mature you, if he doesn't put you through a season of pressing, where he wants to give you a new wine, then how can we carry that responsibility? You see, David the shepherd was not equipped for David the king. God needed something to change from the approach. And in Romans 5, it says that rejoice in suffering. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. David was going through this endurance of trying to figure out, well, God, how do I get there? How do I make this happen? He knew the end goal. He knew what was on the horizon. He knew what the mountaintop looked like. He was just halfway up trying to figure out, well, this really hurts. I've lost someone in the process. But his approach changed in the process. David saw God differently. His holiness was revealed. The blessing arrives. And suddenly we have a king that is ready. And ask the worship team to get up. I think they're at the back there. Suddenly we have this king that is ready for what he is called to do. And he goes on to put... Like 4,000 worshippers that will worship around the presence of God day in and day out. Perspective is everything. We, um, we somehow come to believe that life should be a lot simpler and a lot easier. And we should have a whole lot more control. But I don't know if you noticed. I don't think anyone had much control this year. <laughs> 
So knowing that, God, knowing that COVID 3.0 could happen in 10 years, well, what am I going to do? Because that could happen. So what am I going to do? Shift my perspective, God. Will you show me that what you're doing right now is equipping me for tomorrow? So I cast my mind back to kind of halfway through 2018 and I processed a hell of a lot. At the end of the year, I took myself off antidepressants. And um, I keep talking about this idea of perspective, you know, I'm I'm better. I'm still here. And uh, still trying to figure out some stuff with God. Like, not everything is different. I'm okay with that. I'm actually going through some stuff right now that is rocking my world. And somehow God is showing me what He has brought me through will get me through. What he has saved me from will set me free. And that's who we worship. That's the love of the Father. He'll never leave or forsake us or let us go. But he'll come and he'll meet you right now, right here. And with a still small voice, he'll start to remind you of his goodness and his faithfulness. Can we just stand? We're going to slowly get back into just a a song of worship here. Some of you need to stop being shepherds and realize that you're kings. You carry royalty. God has something massive for you in store. And you're you're going through something right now and it feels really hard and it feels really challenging, but man, let those stories, let this testimony, let David show you that there's something on the other side. There is a victory waiting for you. And all it is, it's just one step, just one foot in front of the other. You don't need to jump, you don't need to leap, you don't need to make any drastic changes. It's just, oh God, this hurts today but I know you love me. God, I know you got me through that yesterday. Thank you. Thank you for the small blessing, Father. You're so good. Jesus, I am grateful that I get to be in the heavens with you worshiping all the days of my life. Father, thank you for keeping my family safe, for loving them, for providing for us. It's one step, it's just one step, it's one step, it's one step of faith, one small step of faith, one mustard seed of faith. It's just a little bit every day. And you watch how God takes that and how He turns that into victory. You watch how He takes those little moments where you go, okay, God, I'm going to choose to say that you are good. Today was horrible, but you are good. Today was an utter fail, but you are faithful. 
Today I have no money in the bank, but I have everything I need in my heart. That is the God we worship. And that is the posture that we as a people of the Father are meant to assume. Suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces hope. We are a people of hope. When we raise our hands in the midst of something, it's significant. So if, if, I actually think if you're ready to raise your hands, you can raise your hands if you feel like that's something you want to do. But it's significant when we raise our hands in the midst of a storm, amen? And right now, we're just going to choose to say this. So God, you are good. You are faithful. You are awesome. You are wonderful. You are forever and never changing, God. And even though right now we may feel like we're in the midst of something that we cannot get through, you are never changing. Father, you lead us beside still waters. You prepare the table for us in the front of our enemies, God. You will never fail or forsake us, Jesus. So God, will you lift up some praise in our hearts this morning? Will you lift up some victory? Will you lift up some celebration? Because you are good. You are good. You are good. You are good. Come on, let's worship Him. Amen.